You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English, and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works Volume 92 by Rudolf Steiner. The lecture notes of 16 lectures, entitled The Occult Truths of Myths and Legends, translated by Paul King. This is Lecture 7, given in Berlin on the 7th of October 1904, entitled The Legend of Prometheus. In our last session, I tried to show you how initiation took place in the lodges of the ancient Druids. Today I should like to discuss a related subject, but one that may perhaps seem to be rather remote. But from its depths, we will see how we are able, more and more, to gain an understanding of our human evolution. You have seen from my Friday lectures that the legends of different nations have a profound content, and that myths are an expression of deep esoteric truths. Today I should like to talk about one of the most interesting legends, a legend associated with the whole development of our fifth root race. At the same time, you will see how the esotericist can always go through three levels of understanding with regard to the world of myths and legends. Myths live initially in one nation or another and are received exoterically, externally, and literally. Then a disbelief in the literal interpretation sets in, and educated people try to find a symbolic meaning in the myths. But behind these two meanings, There are five other meanings, for every mythological legend has seven meanings. The third one is where you are in a position to take the legend literally again in a certain sense, but you must first learn to understand the language in which the myth or legend is composed. I'd like to speak today about a legend that is not so easy to understand, the legend of Prometheus. You will find something about this in a chapter in the second volume of titled The Secret Doctrine by H. P. Blavatsky, and we'll see what profound content is hidden in this legend. However, there are some things it is not always possible to say in printed writings. Today we will be able to go a little further than what is covered in titled The Secret Doctrine by H. P. Blavatsky. Prometheus is part of the mythology of Greece. He and his brother Epimetheus were the sons of a titan, Iapetus. The titans were themselves the sons of the oldest Greek gods, of Uranus and his wife Gaia. Translated into English, Uranus means heaven or sky, and Gaia means earth. I would like to stress that Uranus in Greek is the same as Varuna in India. So Prometheus is a titan, the offspring, like his brother Epimetheus, of Uranus and Gaia. Kronos, or Time, the youngest of the Titans, had usurped the throne of his father Uranus and assumed power for himself. He was himself dethroned for this by his son Zeus, and thrown with all the Titans into Tartarus, the abyss or underworld. Only the Titans Prometheus and his brother Epimetheus had been loyal to Zeus. They had stood at Zeus's side and fought against the other Titans. Now, however, Zeus also wanted to destroy the race of men, which was getting above itself, and here Prometheus became the defender of humankind. 
he contemplated how to give humanity something by which it could save itself and no longer be purely reliant on Zeus for help. So the legend tells us that Prometheus taught human beings how to write and the arts and particularly how to use fire. By doing so he drew the wrath of Zeus upon himself. Because of Zeus's wrath he was chained to a rock in Caucasus and for a long time had to endure great torment. The legend goes on to tell us that the gods, with Zeus at their head, instructed Hephaestus, the god of blacksmiths, to make a statue of a woman. This female statue was endowed by the gods with all the properties that are the external ornament of humankind of the fifth root race. This female statue was Pandora. Zeus caused Pandora to bring harmful gifts to humanity, beginning with Prometheus' brother Epimetheus. Prometheus warned his brother against accepting these gifts, but Epimetheus let himself be talked into it and accepted the gods' harmful gifts from Pandora. They were all scattered over mankind, and only one good gift was held back, hope. The other gifts were plagues, suffering for mankind. Only hope was kept back in Pandora's box. So Prometheus was chained to Caucasus, and a vulture gnawed constantly at his liver. He endured this. But he knows something that is the guarantee for his release. He knows a secret that even Zeus himself doesn't know, but wants to know. Prometheus doesn't betray the secret, even though Zeus sends Hermes, the messenger of the gods, to him. Now the legend tells of this remarkable release. It tells that Prometheus can only be released by the intervention of an initiate, and Heracles was just such an initiate, Heracles, who had performed his twelve labors. The performance of these twelve labors is the work of an initiate. They are twelve initiation trials, expressed symbolically. In addition, it is also said of Heracles that he was initiated into the mysteries of Eloisus. He was able to free Prometheus. However, there had to be someone who would sacrifice themselves and take his place, and this sacrifice was made for Prometheus by Chiron, the centaur, who was half animal, half man. He was already suffering from an incurable disease. He was actually immortal, but sacrificed himself in order to be able to die. He suffered death, and thus Prometheus was freed. This is the outer structure of the Prometheus legend. This legend holds the whole history of the fifth root race, and mystery truths are truly contained in it. The legend was certainly told in Greece, but it was also depicted in the mystery centers, so that the student of the mysteries really saw before him the destiny of Prometheus. It was supposed to show him the past and future of the whole fifth root race. You will only be able to understand this if you bear something in mind. Anthropogenesis, becoming human in the sense that we have humans today, was first attained in the middle period of the Lemurian race. Humankind of that time was guided by great teachers and leaders whom we call, quote, sons of the fire mist, close quote. Humanity of the fifth root race is also guided today by great initiates, but our initiates are of a different kind from the leaders of humanity at that period. You now need to be clear about this difference. 
there is a great difference between the leaders of the two preceding root races and the leaders of our fifth root race. The leaders of those root races were also united in a lodge of the White Brotherhood. However, they had not undergone their previous development on our earth planet, but in other arenas. They were already exalted, mature human beings when they descended to the earth in order to teach humanity, which was still in its childhood, in its first stages of emergence, and to instruct it in the skills it needed. This period of pupillage lasted throughout the third, fourth, and even into the fifth root race. The fifth root race has its origin in a handful of people who were selected from the previous root race. They were nurtured and developed in the Gobi Desert, and then radiated out from there over the earth. The first leader to give this impulse to human evolution was one of the so-called Manus, the Manu of the fifth root race. This Manu was one of those leaders of humankind who had descended during the period of the third root race. He was one of those leaders who had not only undergone development on the earth, but who had brought their advanced maturity to the earth. Only in the fifth root race does the development begin of Manus, who are human individuals such as ourselves, who, like us, have evolved only on the earth, who have developed from scratch, as it were, on the earth. Thus we have individuals who are already exalted leaders and master personalities and others who are endeavoring to become leader and master personalities. So that in the fifth root race we have chelas and masters who belong to earlier root races and chelas and masters who have undergone everything that people have undergone from the middle of the Lemurian period onward. One of the masters who has the guidance of the fifth root race is selected to take on the guidance of the sixth root race. The sixth root race will be the first one to be guided by a Manu who is an earthly brother. The previous masters, the Manus from other worlds, pass on the guidance of humanity to an earthly brother. The dawning of our fifth root race coincides with everything we call the development of skills. The Atlanteans still had a completely different life. They worked in a completely different way. Their technology and skills were completely different. Only with our fifth root race do technology and craft develop in the sense that we understand them. The most significant discovery was the discovery of fire. Be quite clear about this for a moment. Just think how much our extensive technology, industry and skills depend today on fire. I think technicians would agree with me when I say that without fire our entire technology would simply not be possible. So we can say, the discovery of fire was the fundamental discovery, the impulse for all the other discoveries. Along with this we must realize that in the period in which the Prometheus myth emerged, in quotes, fire was understood to be everything associated with heat. The cause of lightning was understood in this way. The causes of all warmth and heat phenomena were summed up in the term fire. An awareness that humanity of the fifth root race was under the sign of fire was expressed initially in the Prometheus myth, and Prometheus is none other than the representative of the whole fifth root race. Epimetheus is his brother, 
Let's translate these two words. Prometheus in English means the forethinker, and Epimetheus means the afterthinker. Here we have the two functions of human thinking clearly laid out. In the human engaged in afterthought, and a human engaged in forethought. A person engaged in afterthought is one who receives into himself impressions of the things of the world and then thinks about them. This kind of thinking is kama-manasic thinking. From a certain point of view, kama-manasic thinking involves first letting the world make its impressions on you and then thinking about them afterward. Today, people of the fifth root race think mainly like Epimetheus. But to the extent that a person doesn't let things that already exist influence them, but creates the future, is an inventor and discoverer, to that extent they are a Prometheus, a forethinker. There could never be any inventions if people were just Epimethean. An invention is made by a human individual creating something that doesn't already exist. First exists in thought, and then the thought is translated into external reality. That is Prometheus thinking. This Promethean thinking in the fifth root race is Manasic thinking. Kama Manasic and Manasic thinking move side by side like two currents in the fifth root race. Manasic thinking will gradually spread out more and more. This monastic thinking of the fifth root race has a particular characteristic. We can understand this if we look back to the Atlantean root race. That race had a more instinctive thinking which was bound up with the life force. The Atlantean root race was able to take seed force and turn it into a locomotive energy. Just as in deposits of coal, people today have a reservoir of energy which they convert into steam for the locomotion of their steam engines and heavy loads, so the Atlanteans had large stores of plant seeds containing energies they could convert into locomotive power, which drove the vehicles described in Scott Elliott's booklet on Atlantis. The mind of the Atlantean was still able to control living nature, seed power. The mind of the fifth root race can only conquer lifeless nature, the forces of becoming in stone and minerals. Thus the manas of the fifth root race is chained to mineral forces, just as the Atlantean race was bound to life forces. All Prometheus force is chained to the rocks, to the earth. Thus Peter, Petrus, Latin equals rock, is also the rock upon which Christ would build. It is the same as the rock of Caucasus. The human being of the fifth root race has to look for his development on the purely physical plane. He is chained to inorganic mineral forces. Just try for a moment to hold an overall perspective of what it means when we talk about this technology of the fifth root race. What is it for? If you take an overall perspective, you will see that no matter how great and stupendous the results are when intellectual forces, the monastic element, are applied to the inorganic mineral realm, in the final analysis it is for human egotism, for personal human interests, that all these energies of fifth root race discoveries and inventions are used. 
Start with the first discovery and invention and go from there right up to the telephone, to our latest discoveries and inventions. And you will see that great and stupendous forces have been put to use for us through these inventions. But what purpose do they serve? What do we bring with our railways and steamships from distant lands? We bring food. Through the telephone we clamor for food. Fundamentally, it is human kama that demands these discoveries and inventions of the fifth root race. Looking at it quite objectively, this is what we have to realize. We then also see how the higher human being, which is transposed into matter, is indeed chained to matter during the fifth root race, because his kama demands satisfaction within matter. If you look at things esoterically, you will find that the human principles, that is, the human members of being, are related to very specific organs of the body. I will go into this subject more deeply later on, but today I will just mention which organs our seven human principles are associated with. To begin with, we have the so-called physical principle. This has an occult association with the upper part of the human face, with the root of the nose, human physical structure, which began at one time, before this the human being was just astral, and then structured himself into the physical, originated from this portion of the face. The physical body originated from this point and first structured the root of the nose, so esotericists recognize the root of the nose to be attributed to the actual physical mineral element. The second is prana, the body of the etheric double. Esoterically, this is associated with the liver. The liver has a certain occult relationship to prana. Then comes kama, the astral body. This developed its activity in the formation of the organs of nutrition, which are symbolized in the stomach. If the astral body did not have the very particular characteristics that it has in the human being, this human apparatus for nutrition with the stomach would not have the specific form it has today. If we look at the human being firstly in his physical foundation, secondly in his etheric double body, and thirdly in his astral body, we have, as we can see, the foundation that is chained to what constitutes the mineral fetters of the fifth root race. Through the higher bodies, human beings raise themselves up from these fetters and ascend to a higher level. Kama Manas works its way up once more. Human beings liberate themselves once more from the foundations provided purely by nature. Thus, there is an occult connection between Kama Manas and that by which the human being is raised up and cut free from its basis in nature. This occult connection is the one between lower manas and the so-called umbilical cord. If there were no kama manas in the human form, the embryo would not be cut free from the mother in the way it is. Passing on to higher manas, we find it is occultly associated in the same way with the heart and blood. Buddhi has an occult connection with the human larynx, with the pharynx and larynx. And Atma has an occult connection to something that is dispersed throughout the whole human being, namely to the Akasha, 
contained within us. These are the seven occult relationships. When we look at them, the most important ones to emphasize for our fifth root race are those with the etheric double body and kama. If we also bear in mind what I said earlier about the Atlanteans' control of prana, life force is what permeates the etheric double, we will be able to say that in a certain sense the Atlantean was at a lower level. His etheric double body still had the original relationship to all ethericity of the external world, and he was therefore able to control the prana of the external world. Because man has ascended one stage higher, the work has gone one level lower. This is a law, that when there is an ascent on one side, there must be a descent on the other. Whereas man previously worked out of prana, on kama, we must now work out of kama onto the physical plane. You will now understand how profoundly the Prometheus myth symbolizes this connection. A vulture gnaws at Prometheus's liver. The vulture is a symbol of Kama. It is actually really devouring the forces of the fifth root race. The vulture gnaws at man's liver, at this foundation. And thus this force of the fifth root race gnaws at people's actual life force because man is chained to mineral nature, to the Petrus, to Caucasus. This is how man had to pay for his similarity to Prometheus. For this reason, man must conquer his own nature so that he is no longer chained to the mineral element, to Caucasus. Only those who emerge during the fifth root race as human initiates can bring liberation to fettered man. Hercules, a human initiate, had to get to Caucasus himself in order to free Prometheus. Thus the initiates will raise man from his fetters, and what is in decline must sacrifice itself. The human that is still connected with his animal nature must sacrifice himself, the centaur Chiron. Man of the past must be sacrificed. The sacrifice of the centaur is just as important for the evolution of the fifth root race as is its liberation by the initiates of the fifth root race. It is said that future prophecies were made for the people in the Greek mysteries. But what was understood by this was not some vague, abstract narrative of what was supposed to happen in the future, but an indication of the paths that conduct humanity into the future, what people have to do in order to develop into the future. And the human strength that had to be developed was portrayed in the great mystery drama of Prometheus. In the three successive generations of gods, Uranus, Kronos, and Zeus, we have to picture three successive guiding beings of man. Uranus means sky, and Gaia means earth. If we go back beyond the middle of the third root race, the Lemurian race, we do not find a humanity like the one we know today, but a humanity that, titled The Secret Doctrine, calls Adam Kadmon. This was a humanity that was still asexual, a humanity that previously did not belong to the earth, had not yet developed the organs for earthly sight, that still belonged to the Uranian element, to the sky. Man arose through the marriage of Uranus with Gaia, 
and descended into matter and thus slipped simultaneously into time. Kronos. Kronos, time, becomes the ruler of the second generation of gods from the middle of the Lemurian period into the beginning of the Atlantean era. The guiding beings were symbolized by the Greeks initially as Uranus, later as Kronos, and then they passed over to Zeus. Zeus, however, is still one of the leaders who did not undergo their schooling on earth. He is still one who belongs to the immortals, as indeed all the Greek gods still belonged to the immortals. The task of mortal humanity during the fifth root race is to stand on its own feet. This humanity is represented by Prometheus. It was the first to introduce human arts and skills and the primordial skill of fire. Zeus is jealous of it because initiates of its own are growing in humanity who will take the leadership into their own hands in the sixth root race. But humanity must first pay for it. Thus its primordial initiate must first take all the suffering onto his own shoulders. Prometheus is the primordial initiate of the fifth root race, the one who is not only initiated into wisdom but also initiated into action. He goes through all the suffering and is freed by one who steadily matures in order gradually to release humanity and lift it out of minerality. Thus mythology depicts the great cosmic truths for us. This is why I said at the beginning, one who ascends to the third meaning can take the myths literally once more. In the Prometheus myth, we have the vulture eating his liver. This can be taken quite literally. The vulture really eats at the liver of the fifth root race. It is the battle of the stomach with the liver. In every person during the fifth root race, this Promethean battle of suffering is repeated. What is expressed here in the Prometheus myth is to be taken quite literally. If this battle did not exist, the destiny of the fifth root race would be completely different. So, there are three meanings in myths. Firstly, the exoteric and literal meaning. Secondly, the allegorical meaning, the battle of human nature. And thirdly, the occult meaning, where a literal interpretation comes into play once more. Thus you can see that all these myths, at least all those that have a meaning of this nature, originate from the mystery schools and are nothing less than a rendering of what was presented in the mystery schools as the great drama of human destiny. Just as I was able to show you that the myth of Baldur in the Druidic mysteries was nothing less than a presentation of what took place in the inner sanctum of those mysteries, so in Prometheus we have what was experienced by the Greek mystery pupil in the inner sanctum of the Greek mysteries in order to gain strength and energy for life in the future. The end of Lecture 7